I asked Isabel last night, uh, were you uh, scared up there? And she says, I'm never nervous. I told her at eight years old, I would have turned tail and run. It was just, uh, <laughs> I just think, you know, there's something so validating when Jesus said, look, the little children come unto me. They are a ministry. I just want to tell you a couple things here before we get into the message of the ramifications of when we gather here for worship. I was just impressed this week thinking of, you know, when we give our offerings and we come here and have church. The ripples really go out. Just this week, for your information, we sent a short-term mission team to Belgium. We, uh, I was sitting in my office yesterday, and they had the men's Bible study early in the morning. And then we had a single parents conference here in the afternoon. And then we had uh, our 50-plus dinner last night. We sent 193 men who were down at Monterey this morning on a men's retreat, the largest we've ever had. And, and just on and on it goes. The world is literally being touched when we worship God. And I think there's something really good about that, that this isn't just for us, that God has so touched our church that we touch the community and the world. And maybe that's just a good reminder as we go into this message this morning, because this is a way you and I can touch the worlds that we'll be in next week with one of the most important dimensions of being a Christian. And that is receiving and giving the forgiveness of Jesus that he paid such a price to make possible. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord, thank you for the grace that floods into our life through music, through the mouth of a child, through your infinite ways of touching us, lifting us up, forgiving us, washing us off, getting us started again, and then giving us that power to do so for others. Lord, this is not a new message, but it's one we all need to hear again, and I pray you'll give us ears and hearts to respond, for I pray in Christ's name, amen. Have you ever had the experience of someone wounding you so deeply that you felt totally justified in seeking some kind of revenge? You see, often when our rights have been violated, almost like an involuntary reaction, we want to strike back in retaliation. If you've ever been robbed, there's a feeling that someone has invaded your private world and you'd just like to get them. Or a person has taken advantage of us, betrayed us, used us, and, and we feel justified in doing anything and everything to help get back at what's happened to us, to get even. Wanting to get even is a um, perverted dimension of the human heart, mainly because it doesn't work. Philip Yancey writes, when I feel wronged, I can contrive a hundred reasons against forgiveness. He needs to learn a lesson. I don't want to encourage irresponsible behavior. I'll let her stew for a while, it'll do her good. She needs to learn that actions have consequences. I was the wrong party, it's up to me. It's not up to me to make the first move. Or how can I forgive if he's not even sorry? And, you know, on and on goes our litany. Maybe we're sitting in the pew this morning with very good reasons why we're not even going to listen to a message of forgiveness because we're that angry and that hurt. Our text today talks about an alternative to getting even. It's a, it's a way to heal a heart bent on getting even. It's called forgiveness. And the Bible puts it this way. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge and I'll repay, says the Lord. I want us to study this call to forgiveness and to see how it might write some new chapters for us. 
A first reason for offering forgiveness rather than seeking revenge is very simple. Jesus commands it. Jesus taught that his followers should forgive others because for one simple reason, he has forgiven us. And the proof that we know him and have received his forgiveness and his love is that we can give that same forgiveness and love to a person, even an enemy. He said, when we're offering a gift at the altar or sitting in church on Sunday morning, and remember we're holding some kind of grudge, we should leave the gift and go be reconciled to that person and then come and offer our gift, our worship. He told his disciples to forgive a person who offends them 70 times 7, a Hebrew way of saying don't count, an infinite number. There is no limit to how often we should forgive someone who hurts us. And then he told a story about a servant who had been given this, forgiven this huge debt by a king. It was uh, 10,000 talents, I believe, and, and that was an, uh, like our national debt. It was trillions of dollars. Never could be repaid. And the king let him off, just canceled the debt. And then the guy goes, has a neighbor who owes him just an infinite, infinitely small debt. He wouldn't forgive. The king heard about it, got furious, and threw the unforgiving servant in prison. And I thought that was rather a, a harsh side of Jesus that kind of ties into the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. It's not that forgiveness is dependent upon our forgiving. It's that if we can't forgive our neighbor, it's highly in question whether we really received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, stood at the cross and humiliated ourselves knowing we can't save ourselves. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember the Bodega Bay family recently. Their son was murdered in Italy, and they were people of faith. And rather than strike out in bitterness and wanting to get revenge, they did a beautiful deed. They donated their son's organs to Italian children, and lives were saved. And that, that had such an impact upon Italy that we're told the number of organ donations increased dramatically because someone, a foreigner, who had had a child murdered in their country forgave and wanted to turn that into a blessing for others. Only that can be done by the grace of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, you see, is really the basic ethic of being a Christian. And it's rooted in one source alone, what Jesus has done for us. And I need to say, because every time I preach on this subject, I know it's so true. There are believers here in this church who have suffered such grave hurts that for, to forgive seems terribly unfair. And what makes it even more difficult is the fact that forgiveness isn't fair. And America believes in fairness. But there's nothing fair about forgiveness. I remember a woman going out my door whose husband had left her and left her with children and the story was dramatically bad. And with tears in her eyes, she just said, how do I forgive that man? It isn't fair. And I had to say to her, you know, it isn't. But the carrying that wound and reliving it every day and not letting go is continuing to inflict you with that wound. And the only way to get rid of it is to remember what Jesus has forgiven you and get on. That's so difficult. But you see, if this morning it can finally penetrate our hearts that Jesus does exactly that for us, what we've done for him is indescribable. Sometimes when we sit in church, if you're like me, these the demons of the past of what we've done kind of shower on us. 
and we wonder, how can God forgive me again and again and again? But the good news is, Jesus does that. We can never exhaust his grace. And that's the reason that we can give forgiveness. It wasn't fair for Jesus to die for you and me. But we give it because he told us to do it. But I've got it now with a second truth. A second reason we should forgive is that revenge is a dead end. And it's self-destructive. We need to understand Jesus isn't telling us something to do that's going to hurt us. He's trying to deliver us. And, And when you're really hurting, that's hard to understand. In our Lord's story about the servant who wouldn't forgive his neighbor's debt, the servant ends up in prison. It was a prison of misery and anger, bitterness, a metaphor of what happens when we hold on to things. As Yancey writes, vengeance is a passion to get even. It's a hot desire to give back as much pain as someone gave you. And the problem with revenge is that it never gets what it wants. It never gets even. Fairness never comes. It ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. Both are stuck on the escalator as long as parity is demanded. And the escalator never stops. It never lets anyone off. That's the endless cycle from which Jesus would deliver us. The San Jose Mercury did an article about the therapeutic values of forgiveness in January. Maybe you read it. What I was intrigued was their conclusion. They said, if we seek revenge, we dig two graves. And that's the insight Jesus would have us understand. That when he asks us to forgive, don't worry about fairness or how much that person has hurt us. It's to deliver us from that hurt getting deeper and going on for a lifetime. Digging two graves. When Jesus forbids getting even, he's protecting us from the consequences of holding a grudge. Because forgiveness stops this endless cycle of blame and retribution. How many people do you know who experience pain every day from a wound in the past and you can hardly ever be with them when that subject doesn't come up? Husband and wives who live together like strangers. Someone at work or at church or in your neighborhood with whom you don't speak. A person who constantly comes to mind, maybe even since I've been speaking here this morning, who when you think of them, rage just raises up, surges up in your heart. Or families divided by huge walls of miscommunication, bitterness, old wounds. Forgiveness offers a way to end this impasse. And the benefactor is us who forgive the person. And the answer it's called is reconciliation. Now, please keep in mind, giving forgiveness doesn't solve all the issues of blame and fairness. Lewis Smead says, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the one who does the forgiving. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover the prisoner was me. When we forgive others, we're more free to receive God's forgiveness of our sins. The flaw in the tragic law of revenge is that it never settles the score. I don't know if you caught Schindler's list on television the other night or maybe saw it before. You know, I can um, never look at pictures of the Holocaust and uh, not just absolutely be torn apart inside. I'll never understand that, nor will millions of others. 
But as I was thinking of the Holocaust and all that happened and the survivors who have to look back on that, how do you forgive something like that? How can you ever heal a wound? What do you do with that kind of demonic uh, <clears throat> parts of, the, of humanity? There is no way to even that score. And then you think of other aspects of the atrocities between Arab and the Jew for centuries. Think of the, the Kosovo conflict right now and the slaughtering of innocent human beings or those ethnic cleansing uh, happenings in Africa. We could go all around the world and we can say there's no way to even the score. How can we ever hope for forgiveness? There's only one answer. And that's somehow to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You, you see, the only alternative to continue bloodletting, whether it be at the global level or the personal level, is to somehow give the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. Refusing forgiveness hurts us, it hurts others, it continues the cycle, and that's why Jesus would say, I want you to forgive because I want to love you and give you the gift of setting you free. You see, when we forgive, we surrender our right to get even. That sets us free, and it gives the other party a chance to have a new beginning. And that's the miracle of Christianity. And I don't know of anything else in our lives or in the world today that can offer that kind of hope for what seem to be endless barriers and gaps and huge hatreds that exists nationally and personally and maybe even in here this morning. But we can't leave the subject until we ask, how do we find the power? Because probably most of us would agree, yeah, that sounds okay as a Christian, but how do I find the power to forgive? And our text says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us as he took it away, nailing it to his cross. A Christian is uniquely empowered to forgive because we are personally aware that Jesus died for our sins. That while we were still his enemies, while we hated him, it, he, he died for us and it wasn't fair. There's no logic. We'll never understand it. And then, you know, as I've reflected on this, what's even more amazing? And I say it so often, and I wish I didn't have to say it. I have to go on dipping into this well of Christ's grace, not once, but every day of my life. Been a Christian since I was eight. I preach, I teach, I have a lot of time to spend in Scripture, more than possibly most of you. I should be getting beyond sin. And yet I can still say, if you knew all about me, <laughs> it would be scary. And yet God continues to forgive Walt Gerber and he continues to forgive you. And if that's true, how in the world can we ever refuse to give someone else no matter what they've done for us? I can say nothing we've done will compare to nothing that somebody else has done for us will compare with what we've done for Jesus. And when we really get that kind of truth embedded in our heart, when the amazing love of Jesus grasps us where we feel things, we do find a power to forgive the unforgivable. We find the power to get off the merry-go-round of trying to get even and, and, and settle the score. 
Mercy begets mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, if you're tracking with me, you know what we're talking about is a subject that's going absolutely against our current culture. We live in times when everybody is a victim, when everyone is demanding my rights, when one of our involuntary reactions today is the go to court and sue, almost a second thought, and when the Bible says don't sue and turn the other cheek and love your enemies, that seems like a foreign language, let's face it. And yet that's exactly what we've been called to do. And that's why we need supernatural power to follow this ethic of love. Thinking globally again about the hatred in Kosovo, the Mideast, Africa. If there's any hope for peace on earth or peace in your life and mine, it will be found in forgiveness rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it will happen one person at a time. Forgiveness is the most powerful weapon, folks, that we have as a church to offer our world because it's the only answer that's going to solve the divisions and the hatred and the hostility and the violence. Ours is a very hardened, divided, violent society. And the forgiving power that flows from the cross is a wonderful gift first to give to ourselves and then give to the worlds we touch. It was Jesus who, while he was being nailed to the cross by his enemies and by the sins that we've committed, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's a power that's flowed through the centuries, the power of love. And there's no other religion, there's no other force on earth that can stand even close to that power. Philip Yancey tells the story of an IRA bombing in Ireland. And a Mr. <coughs> Wilson was buried by a blast with his 20-year-old daughter under five feet of concrete and brick. Daddy, I love you very much, were the last words of Marie, grasping her father's hand as they waited for rescue. She died a few days later. And I tried to reflect, could I ever put myself in that place, that experience with my daughter beside me and having died. And yet from his hospital bed, and this was published all over the world. He was a firm Christian. Gordon Wilson modeled the heart of Jesus when he said, I've lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Marie Wilson back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night that God will forgive them. Where do you find a power like that? Where do we find love like that in this world? Only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Giving grace to those who've wronged us is Christian love in action. And again, when we give it, when we receive it from him, it sets us free. When we give it to a person who has hurt us, it sets them free. And it gives everyone a chance for a new beginning. Think of the impact on this community and upon our personal lives if we as a church family today become empowered with a new determination to set people free, to set ourselves free through forgiveness. I want the atmosphere of this church when people walk through that door to be one of grace. When people come here broken, searching, wondering if they could be loved when they can't even love themselves, they bring all their baggage with them. I want them to encounter the grace of Jesus here because they're among people who have also discovered that grace and our lives have been changed and we receive it and we give it. 
I need to give a postscript before we go home, though. The God of grace, when he forgives, he forgets. And he wipes away our sins from his memory completely. They're never going to be brought up again. The Bible says, I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. If you can't forget, you haven't forgiven. In the Mercury last week, uh, a story was told about this uh, husband that comes to the pastor and says, Pastor, I've got a huge marriage problem. My wife is historical. And the pastor says, don't you mean hysterical? And she, he says, no, she's historical. Every time we have a fight, she goes back into her file box and she raises up all this old history and she never lets it go. And we don't have a chance for a new beginning because I have to live with that old history. Great point. Happily, you and I worship a God who forgives and forgets. I'm going to ask him this week, and I hope you will too, to give me short-term memory loss, and for once I kind of covet that, regarding the offenses of other people and what they've done for me. It's important we don't wait for that person to come to us. Let's take the initiative, break through the wall, break the barrier, and this will set you free, and it'll set the person who has wronged you free. And so here, here's a challenge. Something probably has been in your mind since we started on this subject, a situation or a person. Don't walk out that door and forget it. Say today, I'm gonna to take the initiative and deal with that. I wanna get rid of that weight that's tied to my leg, but I also wanna set that person free. And then you're exercising the very force in the world which Jesus died to forgive us, and it's the only hope of peace on earth. And where does peace begin? It might begin one-to-one -one this week in your world. What a marvelous thought. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, as we're reflecting on Easter and on Good Friday, every year we want a deeper understanding of the love that sent your son Jesus to the cross. And we want that love to take over our hearts. And we want you to love our enemies with your love, to forgive our enemies with your forgiveness, to set us both free. And we pray for that miracle in the name of Jesus. Amen.